You are listening to The Future of Work, Water Cooler Conversations, where business leaders share how they integrate humanity and technology to create a better workplace for today and tomorrow. This radio show and podcast is brought to you by Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center. And now let's listen in as Jen Burrell and Kyle McIntosh connect with today's valued guests. And we're back with the future of work, water cooler conversations. I'm Kyle McIntosh here with my co-host and good friend, Jen Burwell. And our fascination with business leaders who have developed innovative approaches, healthy cultures, flexible workspaces, and seamless virtual technology. Today, we are excited to introduce you to Sherry Lonker, Executive Director and Founder of Branching Out Family Services. Thanks for being on the show, Sherry. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sherry is one of my all-time most favorite people, so I am so excited to have you for a whole hour. Um, I know there's so many things that we can talk about, but we always like to start the show with, just tell us, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? And how did you get to where you are today? All right. Well, (laughs) I grew up in a smallish town in Southern California called Highland, California, and I flew the nest really young, graduated college early and couldn't wait to, you know, get out of my hometown like so many people. I, uh, right after college, took a job as a flight attendant because, you know, I had just charged a burrito to a credit card and I still wanted to travel, but had to figure out a way to do that. So I became a flight attendant for about a year. And after 9-11, I landed right here in the Valley, went back to school, the... I was a kindergarten teacher, and then I went back to school and became a counselor, and that's where we're at today. Right. That was a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. <laughs> For a period of time. So uh, if it's okay with you, Sherry, I want to just kind of talk about um, how you and I first connected and the impact that you've had um, on me personally. So um, thinking about this, it's just weird how all these things work out, because earlier this morning, I had a a mastermind group um, with Alyssa Leon, which is who connected you and I. She was our doula um, for two of our children. I think about two or three years ago, she nominated me for this like spa day mom's night out for kids who are for parents who had special needs children. And my son had just been diagnosed. And so um, I was the lucky winner. So I got to have a whole story. You were very pregnant. Oh yeah, I was pregnant with with my youngest. Oh, I forgot about that piece. Wow. Yeah. And it was awesome and amazing. Um, but it was also so overwhelming because I was new to the space and new to like everything that was going on. And I will never forget. Um, after that, you came to my house and sat on my couch and really were just, you know, holding my hand. It's going to be okay. Let me walk you through this process. It's incredible how there are people like you and and many others who have shown up in my life to help me kind of guide through some some a difficult situation. Um, and looking at it now, kind of having my feet and my bearing in the world, although having special needs kids are not for the faint of the heart, and it's always you know keeps you on your toes. I just am so grateful for for that for you being able to hold space for me and to be able to show me like okay, it's it's going to be okay. Here, here are some like next steps you need to take, but also how are you doing? Because no one had asked me that question. And so if nothing else, I just wanted to express my gratitude for you 
from. I love hearing that. And I think that that kind of speaks to this different approach and business model that we've kind of embraced here at Branching Out. I mean, we created this organization out of passion um, as a special needs parent. For those of you who don't know, I'm the mom of six. Um, We adopted three of our children out of the foster care system. And we went from, it wasn't, the timeline wasn't by design. Um, We went from having zero kids to having four babies in one year. Then subsequently, I had two more biological children. You know, the children that we adopted, um, you know, we came to learn over time that they had disabilities and things like that. And as a mom, I was really frustrated kind of navigating the system alone. And I felt like all of these different professions were kind of disconnected from each other and kind of failing the patient um, and the client in the, at the end of at the end of the line because they weren't connected with each other. And when my youngest was about four months old, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And during that time of, you know, battling that and recovery, spend a lot of time, you know, in the hospital or with tubes and whatnot, hanging out, just you and your thoughts in the middle of the night while you're awake. And I kind of made a deal with the universe that like, if I make it out of this, I'm going to make sure that I'm going where I can do the most good instead of, you know, counseling people who don't want my help who are maybe court mandated or something like that. And I just had a lot of fear about the world that I was leaving for one of my children in particular. I was like, the world's never going to understand him. And if I'm not here, how is, how is he going to make it? You know? And so I made that deal that like, if I made it out of this, I have no time to waste. We have to get moving. And branching out was kind of born from that. And so what I really saw happening was these large medical firms seeing a huge dollar signs on our kids' heads, seeing all of this potential billing um, and not actually really considering the entire patient, the entire client. They were taking into, okay, this is one problem I can solve. Okay, there's this, you know, these medical codes I can bill for, we filled that slot, let's move the client along. I felt that everyone's really kind of missing their calling in this. So I started thinking to how do we manage crisis um, in other domains? So for instance, say you have a child get or an adult get a cancer diagnosis. You pretty much immediately have a hospital social worker, care coordinator, jump on board, sit with you, make sure you're processing okay, say, okay, I'm going to put in all these referrals for you to these different specialists. Don't worry about calling them. They'll call you. They'll get you scheduled. Here's kind of your roadmap. And, you know, I'm here to kind of case manage as this goes along. Well, when you find out your child has autism or another developmental disability, you typically find that out in just a clinic office. Um, or sometimes by email, (laughs) which is quite common these days. And they just maybe hand you a pamphlet or give you a website link to maybe an autism organization and say, good luck to you, you know. Um, And so we're not taking into account the need and we're not taking into account that while the child is the billable client, the parent is your consumer. And the parents' needs need to be met in order for them to continue to utilize your services. And for us going into this, we 
never wanted this to be about profit. We wanted it to be people over profit at every turn. And so for us, it was recognizing that the child's success is wrapped up in the parent's ability to cope. And if we can help mom cope, that child is going to thrive. If we focus only on the child, they can make so many gains. But if we're not acknowledging the fact that this is full of PTSD for parents, this is full of grief for parents, this is full of stress for parents, and we see the divorce rate being so much higher for special needs families, you know, if we put so much focus on moving, propelling this child forward, and then the rug gets pulled out from underneath them when their family falls apart, what good was that progress, (laughs) you know? Um, so that's kind of where it came from for us is we have to start at this fundamental place of acknowledging, acknowledging the emotional stress, building up that foundation and creating wraparound support so that our clients can succeed and our staff can be successful. Yeah. Yes. To everything you just said, <laughs> uh, you just remind me. So when, when my son was diagnosed, we were sitting in an office and the, the doctor said, Okay, so your son um, is going to receive an official diagnosis of autism. And my husband and I looked at each other. I'm like, what's autism? (laughs) And he literally handed me a pamphlet and was like, you know, we're out of time. So do some research. There's some good books. See you later. And like literally we locked out of the office without even an understanding or definition of what it what it was that was the same thought that I had was like, if, if our son, God forbid, had a, a term, a, a cancer diagnosis or a, another diagnosis, there would be somebody that would be like, okay, here's, here you go. It's maddening that that is not the way that it works. And it is such a, it's so valuable that we have you as a resource in our, in our community and all of the, the people that you have been able to touch. Um, it, it's really important work. It, it, um, it strikes me that, in the, it's for sure. It strikes me that in these periods of extreme stress, uh, the unknown, who, who knows what even the next step is to move forward, it opens up a space for, I mean, the two of you who have, Jen, I know every single day we talk, you know, like acted as a pillar of strength in that moment and really showed like, wow, what a human being is capable of. But I, too, am uh, so grateful for, uh, Sherry, what you do and what uh, people like you do who it doesn't have to be as hard as we're making it at the same time. We don't have to give people all of that space to have to stand up and be a pillar of strength in these moments where uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes it just would be nice to have somebody to hold my hand through this. Yeah, I think there's self-care is kind of a buzzword um, these days, particularly in this, you know, with companies starting to be um, maybe more user-friendly in terms of their staff and all of that. And that, you know, we want to promote self-care, self-care, but we also as leaders have to recognize when community care is what's needed, not necessarily self-care, you know, in situations we need to remember and be able to decipher when our clients, when our staff are, you know, we can say, take some time for some self-care. If I, if, if Jen's boss had told her, you know, just take the day off, you need some self-care, what would you have done? You would have been full of stress. You would have been going down the Google rabbit hole. You would have, and that doesn't support you, right? right. What you need is community care. You need 
support. You need somebody to help guide you. You need all of those sort of things. And I think kind of as organization leaders, we have to really model that within our organizations too. It's like within our, you know, even just in our our main office, it's like if some we always acknowledge when somebody's going through something and you know it's not like just take the day off. It's what can all of us do to take this off your plate because we want you to feel well. That's such an important point. And I haven't heard it articulated quite that way of community care versus self-care. That reminds me, I was talking to a friend who works for another company and it was the same model is that's the culture that they were trying to build. So there was somebody who, um, for a variety of reasons, was leaving a difficult relationship and had to move. And the CEO of the company showed up with his pickup truck and was, hey, I'm going to help you pack up boxes and and move. And, and I think that is the type of leadership that will be moving forward, which is exciting for those of us who are in that realm, but also just realizing that people are people and we show up as people to work. And so being um, recognizing for all of us, our wholeness is, is really important. And one, one thing that's a little bit of a tangent, but I wanted to talk about is as I was going through this process, I processed the emotions and feelings and everything very differently than my husband. And that caused a lot of tension and stress as we were both figuring it out. Um, That's very common. I was going to say, what advice do you have for that? (laughs) That's very common. And there's a lot there to unpack. As a mom, I'm, I'm sure that I can speak for most mothers that we are... We, we are very tactical in our approach to meeting our kids' needs. So if we find out that there's an issue, we are immediately on problem solve. You know, like, okay, so here's what I can do. I've done all this research. What we find is moms get the diagnosis and then start sleeping less, start falling behind on things because they've gone down the Google rabbit hole and they're listening to podcasts, reading books, like trying to find all of these supplements and therapies and all of these different things. And they verse themselves in this world of autism acronyms. (laughs) So they they get themselves very up to speed and educated as fast as they can. And what we tend to find with dads more often than not is a slower uptake for them that they kind of are just like, okay, it's fine. I'm just going to go about things as normal. I think there's something to be said. Um, for the fact that the majority of autism diagnosis diagnoses are given to boys. And it's often, there's a lot of times when it's the first born child as well. And so for dads, I think there's an extra layer of the life I planned for myself included doing this with my son. It included, you know, coaching his sports and doing, you know, all of these things that our rites of passage that were rites of passage in his life that he that's what fatherhood looked like to him and now possibly pulling that rug out not to say that the child you know isn't going to be capable of that but it's likely going to look different you know and so that take it that grief kind of taking time to to digest or even acknowledge that it's there you know dad's kind of often don't want to connect with the emotional part of this, that this really is hard and it's not just another day and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and moms are like, okay, so here's the plan I came up with. We're going to try this, this, and this. And he's like, wait a minute, what? They're like, you didn't read the 47 articles I sent you last night. 
how are you in my house? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm doing this all on my own. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know what ABA means? <laughs> yep, that's, that's pretty much how it went. Um, yeah, and then you have all the well-meaning grandparents and aunts and uncles going, no, he's just a boy. I don't see it. He'll outgrow it. And, you know. Oh my goodness gracious. Yes, this is all very um, true to relevant for my story. Um, and this also makes me think about like how what are the dynamics in like a workplace? So if you think about it in like in life, there's that dynamic, but also when, when events happen, when pandemics happen and um, all the things that we've been going through, your employees are going to process differently. Right. So how do, how does a leader develop a wellness system strategy culture that will capture everyone because what I needed was very different than what my husband needed. And granted it's a personal situation with a, with a son, but I saw all of us experience the pandemic very in very different ways. Right. So I think part of, you know, the main part of this is as a lead, as a leader, you need to put it on the table. You, this needs to be part of your culture, um, wellness and well-being needs to be more than about getting a discount on your health insurance once a year. It needs to be part of your your culture and your and your organization. You need to be talking about it and making opportunities for it regularly. So it's just part of the mantra. Um, and that kind of starts with modeling it. So everything from making sure like, yeah, you might be slightly, it may seem like you're being slightly less productive in your day by making time for these kind of things. But if my organization is any indication, you get, you'll see those gains come back in huge ways. So everything from encouraging um, laughter in your workplace to you know, doing an, a group exercise at the beginning of, you know, your Zoom meeting, your, you know, your every Tuesday, Tuesday morning meeting, Google a mind, mindfulness exercise and do it together as a group. Even if you feel silly, you're all getting a laugh out of it, but maybe they're learning some skills that they can utilize, you know, once their camera is off, you know, um, and there's lots of activities. So really in stressful situations, we want to get out of the part of our brain that is controlling our 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 fight flight freeze um and get back into a more pragmatic and balanced and logical portion of our brain and so there's lots of little physical movements and activities and things that you can do as a group um or independently to help get there but model that by by leading those exercises and being willing to maybe feel silly for a minute on that zoom and uh you know be the the guinea pig that that tries it first. Um, I think really taking the time to meet with your team um, one-on-one or in small groups to just kind of say like, how are you really doing? You know, let me know where you're struggling, what, what kind of accommodations you need because people who feel seen and understood and, and respected and valued want to work harder for you. Let's just talk about that story Jen told. I can tell you I vaguely remember coming to your house and meeting with you, but to me, it was just an average day. It wasn't anything remarkable, but to her, here we are several years later, and she's a champion 
for our organization. And, um, you know, wants to volunteer and look for opportunities and all of those things because that one time she felt heard and seen by us. And so that's, I think that's the same thing with your team and really making everybody's stuff, all of our stuff. So like, like I said, when you're struggling with something, you're falling behind, it's like, okay, how can we meet that need this week? Cause maybe I'm going to need you to meet it for me next week and really, really working together and it not being this competitive, competitive environment where it's like, if I fall behind, they're going to pounce on me. It's going to get exploited by my colleagues to, you know, propel themselves ahead. That's not, that's not the kind of organization most of us want to be leading with regard to, you know, family diversity and challenges and things like that. Like Jen was talking about, how would you treat a staff member who found out their child had, you know, a life-threatening or, or completely life-altering diagnosis? You guys would rally around them, right? You would be like, you know, let's let's sign up for this walk together and, you know, doing all of that and checking in and how's he doing and that sort of thing. And I think that, you know, as a society, we need to kind of broaden our embrace of other diagnoses, other challenges, whether it means somebody's going through a divorce or it means somebody's having a baby or it means somebody's got autism or a diagnosis, just being seen and acknowledging that there is maybe less privilege in that situation, that maybe that colleague doesn't have the privilege of being able to say, I can stay till 7 p.m. Because there isn't, there isn't childcare available for a special needs child that late. And so really making accommodations and being supportive of that, I think, is huge. It's something we, we were just talking right before this show about asking people and answer, and how do you answer? How are you? How are you really? Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that keeps striking me both before the show and right now is we've got this thing in our head that time is linear and it's always the same and we're always out of time. We don't have enough time for that. And, and you just hit on it that you know, stopping for a second or slowing down just to ask that question. Mm-hmm. And I think it's got to be authentic. Like it's got to come from a place of this mm-hmm. isn't a perfunctory asking that question, but it's like, right. I'm here for you to support. And so that's the purpose of having this conversation right now. How can I help? Uh, yeah, I think we spend a lot of focus on what our staff and what our team can do for us, what they can produce for us when really our role is to be supporting them so that they can do the best they can do. You know, we kind of have that backwards a lot. I don't, it doesn't get taught in business school either is that your people are the most important part of your organization, both the ones that you serve internally and externally. And so we get taught all these business tactics and, and, you know, accounting and all this, uh, the stuff that you can do math on paper, but not that simple truth that your people are the most important thing that you have to Mm -hmm. shepherd success with. I mean, that, that is a business. They are really your product. Yeah. I think that's why we're seeing this huge rise in, um, organizational psychology and, you know, so many talks on that and new degree programs popping up in that because I, for us, I mean, I entered the business world with zero <laughs> business experience. Um, you know, I was a teacher and then a counselor. And I can tell you 
focusing on putting people first and meeting a need and solving a problem for an individual versus providing just a product. In 18 months, our organization grew from two people to a staff of 150. We currently have a wait list of about 130 families right now. And just doing what taking care of people will produce that. Mm-hmm. And one thing that really stuck out, again, another example, is um, after um, George Floyd's murder, we were all really like, what is happening? And some of us, myself included, were waking up for the first time, like, what is going on? We looked to you. We look to your organization, like people like me of like, help us, we need resources. And so you put on um, cultural competency courses. But I think the thing that was the most powerful about that is, and tell me where I get this wrong, but you have, you had like a diversity inclusion board to gather the content, but you as the leader Mm -hmm. know this is rough on you guys and you need to process this in your own way. And I I don't, the last thing I want to do is put you in a situation that's going to cause more stress. So on a Sunday afternoon, you were leading the webinars, teaching the courses while your staff were, while you were giving your staff the space and time to process on their own without having to answer questions from people like me who are new to the conversation and might unintentionally. um, Yeah. Well, I mean, really putting people in positions and trusting their ability is, you know, kind of how that came about. It was, there's clearly a hunger for this information. We know that we have this population of people here that have trust and buy-in with us. So this is an opportunity to start pulling people into a conversation that maybe they've been uncomfortable with in the past. And so we work together. We have we have a program um, through our the nonprofit arm of our organization um, that works with foster children um, being raised in multi-ethnic environments. So um, we have a lot of um, Black and biracial children being raised by in white households um, that we saw, you know, for years, we've seen a big need there for education for those foster and adoptive parents. And so our program kind of started that way. And so, yeah, we have, um, you know, this advisory group you know, we put together all the information and, you know, kind of, I had a talk amongst my staff of, okay, so who's going to lead this? And my initial reaction was, it shouldn't be me. This should be your voices. You know, this reflects you. So this should be your voices. But, and a lot of that came out of my anxiety for people being like, who is she and why is she in this space? This is not your story, you know, but I chose to listen to my staff and care about their needs over my image or anxiety. (laughs) And they said, people need to start hearing it from people like you because they're not listening to us. And we need some space to take to kind of heal right now. We can't, we can't engage right now. And so, yeah, Sunday afternoon, I was, I was a uh, heart racing going, hi guys, I'm about to teach you about this. <laughs> but um, it seemed really well received. And, you know, it just, I think kind of that genuine thing does, you're right. It makes a difference caring about people's feelings. I mean, it wasn't long. We had the New York Times emailing us wanting interviews and, you know, things like that. And it's like, I think if you really bring authenticity and 
human connection to the table, people want to respond and connect back with that. Absolutely. You had me thinking as we're going through this, and I think that example is one of the best leadership examples that I can think of recently, just showing up on a, on a Sunday. But the other part of me is like, holy moly, you run a large organization, you have six children, like how, what does your wellness practice look like? And how do you take care of yourself and balance everyone else's needs and answering your own cup? Well, I can definitely say that there are periods of time where I need to practice what I preach better. Um, I am not infallible in this area at all. For me, as, as I've gotten older and as I've gotten more experience at this, I'm realizing that saying no is such an important thing for me. Um, as somebody who you know wants to say yes to opportunities and somebody who wants to always solve problems and help, um, it's easy for me to say yes to everything. And um, I think it can really get scary when you're building an organization too, to say no to an opportunity because it might feel like that might not come back. Am I going to regret saying no? And um, the more I've said no to things over the past year, and I think the pandemic thought, taught us a great lesson about that, right? Like when you have no control and you can't say yes, you have to figure out a way. And so what I've learned is really making boundaries and sticking to them. Um, now, I know a lot of our staff doesn't always have that opportunity to say like, oh, I'm only going to work until this time. So there's definitely some privilege in that. But in your own way, you can make boundaries. So, you know, if it's, I do not stay a minute past this time on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have to do that for myself, then do that. I don't want to make you stay later on those days, you know? If it's outsourcing, um, I, I'm a big proponent of outsourcing, particularly on the home front, if it's possible, if it's within the budget, outsource the have tos. I call them have tos. There is no award for being the best housekeeper. There is no award for all of these things, you know? Your kids are not going to remember if you had the house clean or somebody else cleaned it. Or if you picked up the groceries and got to go food for dinner versus making dinner every single night, just do what you can and be accepting of that. That's a huge thing is just accepting where you are and not shaming yourself for it. Um, I think particularly as mothers, um, we put a lot of, you know, we're kind of groomed from a young age of what we're supposed to do and, you know, what motherhood looks like and all of that. But for me, I found my sweet spot in doing those things. When I do make a family dinner or something, I have favorite things that I cook, but you know, we're going to get takeout more nights than I would probably admit on camera, <laughs> you know, and that just has to be okay. Um, yeah, so th that's kind of that's kind of where I start is realizing, really looking at the calendar and being like, all of us only have this many hours in a day, and the more I put into these hours, the less I'm going to give each thing. So if I can really make it count in the hours that I'm going to allow myself, that's the better use of my time. 
it really recognizing that it's quality over quantity. And if you're doing the relationship stuff right, if you're really giving it the focus it needs, you're going to have a lot of support from a lot of supporters that want to help you with those other things because they're feeling valued and they're feeling, you know, seen and included and all of that. Another thing is I know a lot of people think when they think self-care, they think spa days and bonbons and things like that. And I think those things are awesome and (laughs) they're once in a while things. Um, But self-care really has to be an everyday practice. And unfortunately, we can't all go to the spa every day. Um, And so there's lots of things that we don't consider self-care, but I think a lot of parents and organization leaders, particularly with startups, when you're just working around the clock and, and all of that, aren't taking into consideration. And that's everything from making sure you've got your annual physical and not postponing that for another year, making sure that you are making the time to be with your spouse and children, because it's easy to say, and I found myself in this trap too, when I was starting this organization, oh my gosh, I'm doing so many things. I'm going to, yes, I can do another support group and I can do this and I can do that. And I was spending so many evenings away from home and they were happy to be supporting me and encouraging me and knowing this isn't going to last forever and all of that. But when those relationships suffer or strain or you're disconnected from those, it feels really depleting to you because, you know, just naturally we are um, community beings, you know, like we, we want to belong to a pack. We want to be included. And that's just kind of our fundamental DNA um, as a species. And when we get disconnected from our pack, um, that can feel really vulnerable and stressful and irritable. And you don't necessarily even recognize that that's what it is. And, you know, maybe it's just you need some some physical time with your kids, you know, piling on top of you for a while to just sit and watch a show or something that feels like you're being unproductive, but it's actually really kind of solidifying and refreshing those connections within your pack. And so those are all opportunities for self-care. Oh, goodness. I have like three pages of notes and I don't know how you literally are. I think people might live in my house. I don't know. (laughs) Two things came to mind. One is, so um, Valentine's Day was Sunday, right? Sunday. And we like got up in the morning and I went and got breakfast and did a little breakfast thing. So in my head, the box is checked. Like we should be celebrated. Okay, good. So then I went into my office, which is also my master bedroom, but, um, and I just started working and I swear I only worked for two hours, but I came out and my kids are being crazy. And my husband looked really sad. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, I'm just lonely. And then my, my response is like, I'm really annoyed because I'm like, I, I'm working. Like I'm trying to like, you know, build something and make things great and all this stuff. And like, why, what is your, why are you saying you're lonely? And then I took a step back and realized one, it wasn't two hours I was working. I think it was like four and two, it's that connection, that piece, right? So it's, it, it, he was, he's always very supportive and always my biggest cheerleader on, yeah, you know, do what you need to do. And he was feeling disconnected from the relationship. And it was like one of the first this is embarrassing to admit on uh, live radio, but it was like one of the first times where I'm like, holy cow, like I really have reprioritized things where he's really is at the bottom 
And literally all I wanted was what you were saying, like to just hang out on the couch and watch some mindless show or, or play with the kids and go play football. And it's like, I had a thought of, you know, sometimes you take your support system for granted. Mm -hmm. If that, like I always, and I truly believe like the reason I work so hard is because I care so much about my family, but this dichotomy of like, right. I'm also not connecting. And so it's so important. And so, and I'm, I am, um, I feel like this pandemic has made my type A-ness get worse. And so I have to practice. Like I, I have to literally tell myself, I am going to, for the next 30 minutes, 60 minutes, do something that doesn't feel productive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. And then I'm so grateful. And so I think that when you were talking about startups and, and people who are, who are trying to build big businesses and trying to makes like um professional things happen it is so hard to step out of it and so important it is yeah i mean there's been a lot there's been quite a few times where we've been approached by potential collaborations or other other organizations wanting to use us as consultants and things like that and it's really easy to look at the the potential financial gain of that and say like, oh, we cannot pass this up. But the reality of executing those things while still balancing the plates, you know, we can have stars in our eyes and tell ourselves that like, nope, I can do it. I can do it. Um, But you really have to honor your priorities and reevaluate them pretty, pretty frequently to make sure that they're, they're still serving you. And sometimes it's painful. You got to say no sometimes. But I can tell you in hindsight, every opportunity that I've said no to has ended up in hindsight being absolutely 100% the right choice. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I think as a leader, another piece of self-care for yourself is making sure that you're living in your strengths. This was one thing I really struggled with when I started was doing everything. And administration is not that's where my soul goes to die. The details, all of that, that's not that managing the calendar, like all of this stuff. It's not my jam. I'm a big picture person. I'm a connector. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the, the person who wants to be out there with, with our clients and families, not, not running the nitty gritty of the day to day. And I, you know, I found a counterpart who just, please don't make me talk to people. Let me just be back here behind a computer and as my right hand. And so we completely shine where the other one doesn't. And that has made a huge difference. That's made all the difference in my confidence as a leader and all of that, because it's easy to feel down on yourself. And like you're failing when you're forcing yourself to live outside of your strengths rather than recognizing where your strengths are and outsourcing the rest. That, out, that outsourcing. I mean, what it, it's such a it's such a good point, and not just for the home. Like, how am I going to get cleaning done, or or cooking, or any of these things that I should be doing? Very much in quotes, should be doing. But exactly in your business, why am I doing some of these things? Because I feel like that's what a business leader does. Uh, because that's what I was trained a business leader does. Why am I not focused? Why Why don't I have time for these things that I'm really good at? Or uh, that that really would be making a bigger impact in people's lives. It's it's uh, right. 
it's such an easy trap to fall into, I think. And, and it takes mm-hmm. sometimes a real pause to, okay, hold on, let me just reassess what's going on here, bigger picture and look and see, am I just doing this because that's how I've always done it? Or is this because this is what I should be doing? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reassessment, I think, that needs to be done and a lot of personal digging. That's why I really recommend to everyone um, that they have a therapist to talk through things with because part of leading an organization or starting a startup, there is so much self-discovery that happens as to your strengths and your struggles. And it can be, I don't think you can really anticipate it until you're in it and you're struggling and you feel it. And there's just so much self-discovery happening that I think it's really helpful to have a guide kind of going through that and asking you those questions and encouraging you to think these things through. Because not only are you having to recognize, you know, your strengths and struggles, but you're having to really ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I the one doing this? Is this because I can't relinquish control of this area? Or is this because I have to prove that I can do it? Or, you know, what is the motivation there? And the better you know yourself, I think the better you can make decisions and lead and show your team and show your clients um, the best version of yourself versus the stressed out, um, self-doubting version of yourself. And I think that that reassessment has to continue to happen as your organization grows. And I mean, going back to marriage and self-care and all of that, I mean, I talk to families every single day, couples every single day about renegotiating divisions of labor, you know, um, particularly, you know, I'm sure Jen can relate to this parents, you know, with moms, you're, societally, it's always, you know, these are kind of mom's domain and this is kind of dad's domain and dad does the yard and taking out the trash and mom does the laundry and all, you know, the cooking and the packing lunches and the baths and all that sort of thing. But as t- things are changing, I mean, you have to renegotiate that, whether it's amongst your team as your organization's growing or with your spouse, because the biggest source of conflict is unmet expectations. And a lot of times we don't even know why we have the expectation we have. It's just kind of programmed into us, you know, societally. Um, so it's really important to get that stuff out on the table. And, and that really, you know, avoids a lot of conflicts. I'm going to get that tattooed on my arm, I think. So I actually remember it all the time. because it's Renegotiate the division. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So we only have about 15 minutes, but I want to make sure that everybody listening can get a good idea of what Branching Out Family Services does. So can you tell us a little bit about different things you do and the ways that people can help support your organization? Yes, love to share about this. My favorite topic, (laughs) (laughs) this baby of mine. Um, So what we do at Branching Out is we support um, families in the special needs and foster and adopt communities. Um, All of those families are, are, those are kind of pockets of our our community that... um, I felt our industry was kind of failing um, and needs some specialized support. So we provide all kinds of um, services from home health care to guidance to advocacy um, and all of our services, the way our organization is set up, cost families nothing. 
So we offer all of those every day to the special needs uh, community, but we also have a nonprofit arm of our organization called the Good Works Project. And I'm super proud of that. Um, That is where I get to live my best life. (laughs) Every project and every idea that I have and our our team brings to me, we get to try it out there. And so um, this is where we get to work with a lot of the foster care community um, and the adoptive community as well. So we do all kinds of community inclusion programs where um, most people know us from the holiday um, drives that we do, that we provide Christmas for, you know, a couple thousand foster children here in Maricopa County. Um, we do lots of fun activities all throughout the year. And we have tons and tons of volunteer opportunities that are super fun. We pride ourselves on being one of the fun, the most fun places to volunteer. Um, so if any of your, you need any team builders or your organization um, encourages volunteering, feel free to let us know. We'll be happy to find a fun project for you. Um, and we are proud to have just been designated as an uh, qualifying foster care organization for the state of Arizona, which means we are one of, I think, 12 organizations with this distinction, means that um, you can get a foster care tax credit, dollar for dollar match, um, for donating to our Good Works Project. So that's, I believe it's $1,000 for joint filers and $500 um, for individuals. So if anybody has a liability, you can put it to Good Work right here in Maricopa County. Um, and you can come bring your team and come volunteer and see it, see your donations at work. That's awesome. And just to connect all the dots full circle. So we participated this year, Max 6, in the holiday um, gift drive. And so businesses could do that as well, right? You can get- yeah. Yeah, we do we do things all throughout the year. Every single month, we have a different community engagement project um, that we work on. And it's our all of our volunteer opportunities are very hands-on. So it's not a lot of like stuffing envelopes. It's we want it to be fun and upbeat and engaging and hands-on fun as much as you know, as possible as we can do with COVID right now. Small groups, masks on, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, we appreciated Maxix's involvement and uh, we'd love to have you guys back for, for other activities. It's a great way to build morale and build your team and, and all of that. Yes. And is there an age limit for volunteering? So we are one of the few organizations that allows children to volunteer. So we have at-home projects, but we also have in-person projects. um, And even children can volunteer with us. My oldest has, has, he has such a servant part and he is looking for opportunities to volunteer. Well, put him to work. (laughs) That's good. He's looking for some, some time to volunteer. So great. I feel like we covered so much ground and I feel like this whole session was just um, a therapy session for me. So I appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. Yeah. If there's one takeaway that I can give people is I'd really love to see a shift in my own industry. Um, I would love to see people starting to treat mental health like dental health. Um, you know, our brain is the most complex part of our body. It controls every other system and we don't really give it any intention. And when it comes to dental health, whether we have a cavity or not, we show up at the dentist twice a year, right? 
our dentist can keep a watch on something that might be brewing, but you know, there might be a cavity starting, but we'll just keep an eye on it. And we wait until we're in full-blown crisis before we reach out for support. You know, that can be really self-destructive. You can be ruining your career, ruining your team without even realizing it. Um, just because you're not pressing that pressure release valve every so often. And so my recommendation to leaders, to parents, to anyone is find a clinician that you like and schedule an appointment at least every six months to keep a file open. They know your baseline. If nothing's going on, cool. But if you need them, they're there. You don't have to wait months to get in because you're already an existing patient and really start modeling for your, for your team and for your kids that it's just part of taking care of your health. Just like any, just like going to the dentist, you just go. And I think really modeling that and taking that stigma away will do wonders for promoting health and well-being amongst your team. Oh, absolutely. Being able to be vulnerable and leading by example, I think is the most important. And I totally agree. And what I really like about having a therapist that you see regularly is when something does happen, you don't have to catch them up on all the backstory, right? They know you. And so you can come in with like, here's the thing I need to work on and they have more context. Um, but they are, it is such, I mean, I think every person should have a, a counselor or therapist or somebody. Um, take some time, at least in my experience, you, know, you have to find someone that like really you click with, I guess is the way to describe it. But it is such a valuable tool in everyone's toolkit. Um, and I think the more that we can say that, the more we talk about it, we can normalize it more and stigmatize it. And it's getting easier and more affordable for individuals or for organizations with the telehealth um, options, you know, yeah. for, for those who maybe you're an organization that doesn't provide insurance yet. I would really recommend looking into like BetterHelp or some of the online platforms um, and seeing about what you can do, what you can provide to your employees, whether it's you know, a matching or, you know, uh, employee assistance program that if, if somebody's struggling, you'll cover the first session to just get them started or something like that. It's getting much, much more affordable and easy to access. Absolutely. It's such a good point to find somebody find Hey, everybody listening, find somebody now. I mean, whether you've got, don't wait till you're in crisis. Don't wait till your employee is in crisis, have those resources available send those emails out with those resources, you know, every quarter or something, just reminding people that it's there and they need to be taking care of themselves and give them that permission to say, I need to focus on me. Can I, you know, take a long lunch so I can do this session? You want them to feel like you're absolutely receptive to that. Good. Well, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours and hours, but we're running out of time and we have questions that we ask at the end of every show okay. that are unrelated to everything we were just talking about. But Kyle and I are just curious creatures. So we like to ask. And Kyle, I don't know if you had anything else to add before we jump in our questions. Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't think anything to add. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I took a bunch of notes too. I mean, the one thing that I've just latched on to to think about a lot more deeply is this community care idea. And I think when you talked about it in the medical system, it was juxtaposed against uh, how it works in the medical care system. 
But I was thinking about even how we treat self-care as, okay, this is something that I have to take the burden on and do for me. Uh, and while that's true, you've got to make space and time for it. This whole community care model, it's not just the healthcare system. It's, uh, you know, business leaders. It's uh, myself sitting across the table from Kinder right here. It's us having this conversation. It's, you know, all of us showing up in a different ways so that we're there for each other. Uh, it just makes so much sense. Yeah, it gives it gives a richness to your organization that I think a lot of people miss out on. So my question that has nothing to do with that, as Jen said, okay. uh, what is your favorite book of all time? This is tough. And I'm going to go with something that's really recent right now. And it's Untamed, Glennon Doyle. Oh my gosh, yes. I just finished last year. That book, that book was one, it's a, it's a new one, but right now that's my favorite. That's one that I'm always telling everybody you haven't read that, you need to read it. <laughs> the last guest said that last week and I, I, it's, yes, everyone. Struck a nerve. She struck a nerve with our, with our generation. <laughs> I know. It's so, so true. It's a great book. Um, oh, so my question. So what is one lesson that you learned in a personal professional um, from the pandemic that you want to take forward with you and carry it? The realization that the world keeps going, even if I'm not there, not my, my presence isn't required everywhere. I don't have to say yes to every invitation. I don't have to show up and be on all the time, knowing that sometimes I have to really just say no. That's one thing. And being at peace about saying no, not feeling, saying no, and then feeling anxious about it or feeling guilty about it. That's what I really hope I can continue to do as things start to pick up. That's a really good one. I think um, I've been experiencing that as well as before pre-pandemic, my life is, I think all of us were just like, I'm running, 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 like even in the car, like five minutes between meetings. And I just like that wasn't a sustainable path. And so when like everything got cleared from COVID, now I'm like more intentional about how I build back. Mm -hmm. I say yes to, although I will say like the last month or so, I don't know if you guys have been doing this. It feels like it's getting busier and more and more people are emailing, calling, reaching out. And it's all great. And I'm grateful for all of it, but I just need to make sure that I, this is a, I'm saying it aloud, a reminder to myself to be intentional um, and making sure that I'm right. In the same situation I was. Yeah. I want to continue to trust my team and outsource within my organization to my, you know, that delegating and saying, like, I don't actually have to be the one to unlock the door that day. I can have someone else doing that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. How liberating. Yeah. So, Sherry, before we totally wrap things up, um, can you let people know how we can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us, our website is um, branchingoutfamilyservices.com. You can find us on Facebook at Branching Out AZ um, and the same on Instagram. Thank you, Sherry Lonker, for being on the show today, Executive Director and Founder of Branching Out Family Services. And we are off to continue building better communities where people and businesses thrive. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations with your hosts, Jen Burrell and Kyle McIntosh. 
Each episode shines the spotlight on business leaders who are defining what a healthy and productive workplace looks like in Arizona and beyond. To be part of the conversation, schedule a visit of the Max 6 Entrepreneurial Center in Tempe, Arizona, and connect with us at max6.com. Remember to like and subscribe to the Future of Work Water Cooler Conversations on Apple Podcasts.